Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the I Believe podcast. Today, I'm joined by a guest, uh, Dr. Beaupre, uh, who is the chief medical officer at IDEA Biosciences. And he is joining us today to tell us a little more about IDEA as a company and just their history in uveal melanoma. So with further ado or without further ado, um, welcome, Dr. Beaupre. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you today. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. Um, so first up, can you just tell us a little about you as a physician, as the chief medical officer, uh, tell us about your career and just why are you passionate about what you do? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Um, I grew up in a, a small town uh, that maybe some of your folks are familiar with, has a little history attached to it, Salem, Massachusetts. So I grew up in Salem, Massachusetts. It's the witch city, as you know, the Salem witch trials occurred there. And, uh, you know, the city uses that um, to um, actually commercialize very highly the whole Halloween picture, which recently happened. And you can imagine how busy it gets there at that time. So I grew up in Massachusetts. And it's funny, you know, you asked me about sort of my passion and how I got interested in oncology. And I don't know why this happened, but, you know, at nine years old, around the time where Nixon was declaring the war on cancer, you know, my grandmother asked me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I, I don't know where this came from, but I said, I want to cure cancer. So so even as a young child, for whatever reason, I had an interest in cancer. And so as I grew up and went to high school, I got very interested in biology. I went off to college and I, I got a bachelor's degree in biology and ultimately went on to do something that was really transformative in my life is start to study the molecular biology of cancer. And I got really intrigued by that so much so that I, I applied for a, a, a MD PhD program at the university of Texas at Houston. And I was so blessed and fortunate to actually get accepted into the program. And there I was at the MD Anderson cancer center in Houston, Texas, as you know, is one of the leading, leading uh, cancer institutes in the world. And I, was, I got tr tremendous training there. Again, continued to fuel the fire of my interest in cancer research. There I got a PhD in cancer biology and I got my medical degree. Ultimately went on to the University of Miami where I trained in internal medicine, uh, hematology and medical oncology and ultimately transitioned as a faculty member at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. So I, I practiced medical oncology for some time before I joined industry. And I've been in industry now for about 17 years, um, practicing uh, or, or working with organizations to help patients with cancer in that we're executing clinical trials with novel therapies. I did that at companies like Amgen, uh, Ab AbbVie, um, Pfizer, uh, Pharmacyclics. And about a year ago, I joined IDEA 
as the chief medical officer, mainly because really we're doing cutting edge, you know, both basic science and clinical research here with novel therapeutics that are really uh, providing new opportunities for patients and exciting new 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 therapeutics that I think can make a really big difference in cancer. And new melanoma is just one of those areas that we're studying. But that's sort of sort of where I grew up, what sort of my what my career was and how I ended up at, at IDEO Biosciences. Awesome. So that was so unique to hear. I, did, I had no idea that you grew up in Salem um, and what a, a neat area to grow up in, honestly, like just such a historical area. But uh, I just I just have a, a nine-year-old or I guess he's 10 now, but I have a 10-year-old myself and I'm just kind of imagining like my 10-year-old saying like, I just want to cure cancer. I'm like, that would probably be something that, you know, your grandparents, your parents looked at and just went, okay, honey, like you want to be a superhero? Like, good on you. Um, but I love that you have been able to pursue that and that it just carried through. Like it literally became your job and your passion and just everything that you do. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, so can you just tell us a little more specifically, what does it mean when we say chief medical officer? Um, and specifically, what does that mean for you at IDEA Biosciences? And, um, I guess you kind of touched on this a little, but just let's just reiterate, why did you decide to become a part of their team specifically? Yeah, so as chief medical officer at IDEA, I'm responsible for overseeing clinical development of all of our programs, both the early phase uh, medicines, which are sort of the drugs that are just first getting into humans. So we, we execute a number of first in human trials. But in addition, we have obviously more advanced programs that are being studied in what we call late phase development. And uveal melanoma is one of those examples where we're at a, a point now where we have a, a regimen that we think is highly effective. And now we're comparing it to standard of care in a very um, uh, careful and, and uh, meticulous way to prove that we're as good, if not better than standard of care agents. So that when patients get treated with our therapy, they have great confidence that they're getting therapy that's been well studied, the safety profile is understood, it truly is effective when compared to standard of care agents, and so those trials are ongoing. And so someone like myself oversees that process. And once again, you know, the reason why I was so excited about IDEA is really all of the things that we're working on are first in class, meaning there's nothing approved in that space at the moment. There's no agents that actually go after sort of the pathways that we're, we're um, trying to interdict in these, in these cancers. So, you know, being novel, being different, and hopefully what we're doing here is bringing new therapies to cancer patients that really just take us to a whole new level. It's not like another Me Too chemotherapy that's going to add a little bit more to what we're currently doing. Hopefully when you get into these new spaces and you execute on, on new therapies that are novel and different, um, what you're doing there is you're trying to advance the treatment of cancer just to a whole nother level, bring it to a whole nother stage where we're making big, big impacts. That's the idea. So can you just tell us what is uh, an, a good overview of IDEA Biosciences as a company and just their mission as a whole? Yeah, so IDEA Biosciences is a company, you know, we're a small company of about 120 or so um, employees where, you know, our whole premise around the treatment of cancer sort of revolves around this idea of, of synthetic lethality. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about, you know, tumors as they evolve, 
they develop, believe it or not, vulnerabilities, you know, either genetically or perhaps in signaling cascades that are ongoing. And what we try to do based on our discovery research is identify where some of these vulnerabilities are. And then once identified, identify therapies that could actually impact these vulnerabilities to provide a profound impact on the tumor, meaning kill the tumor dramatically, but at the same time, leaving normal tissue unaffected. So ideally speaking, what we're talking about creating medicines that really bring us to a new level in how we treat cancers, but at the same time, with large therapeutic windows, whereby patients aren't really very much impacted by side effects. So that's sort of the, the dream and the vision. And I can tell you, we have a number of programs that are headed down that path. And we have a very large number of people here that are highly devoted to bringing those types of therapies to patients. And so that's sort of what the thrust of what we do. And we're right in the middle of what people would call precision medicine. Now, precision medicine, of course, is if I could only identify something about this patient's tumor, this patient's, the background of this patient themselves or their tumor, that I can come up with a therapy that exquisitely impacts that. And so selecting patients carefully based on the genetic background of their tumors is another thing that we do, again, to bring big impact on the tumors, but not big impact to the patients with respect to side effects. I feel like that's such a powerful way to put it. So thank you. Um, what specifically led IDEA to work in the space of our disease, metastatic uveal melanoma? And uh, I guess you guys also have therapies that are not just metastatic. You're dealing with primary uveal melanoma as well, correct? So what led you to that place? Yes, correct. Very good. I'll begin with the sort of the story of sort of how the Durovacertag program evolved at IDEA. You know, it's an interesting story, and it goes to sort of the, the biology of the disease and sort of the premise that I talked to you about, about, you know, really targeting the tumor and trying to stay off the normal tissue. And so, as you, as you probably are aware, many of your listeners may be aware, you know, uveal melanoma is an interesting disease from the perspective. It's not like skin melanoma. It's a bit different, particularly genetically, right? And then, Uveal melanoma, the vast majority of patients who have the disease have a mutation in either GNAQ or GNA11 or a mutation in a gene that activates a pathway, a signaling cascade that involves a protein called protein kinase C. So some time ago, Novartis became very interested in this and they actually created a molecule called Vigorovacertib, which inhibits protein kinase C. And Understanding the biology of uveal melanoma and knowing that these mutations were the harbinger of the disease, sort of the process that begins it, and that these mutations lead to the activation of protein kinase C, and that's a key driver in this tumor, Novartis set forward with a first-in-human trial with Durovacertib in this patient population, and they generated some promising data. The data showed that there was responses, there was tumor shrinkage, and there was some anti-tumor activity, that's the positive. The not so positive was the impact wasn't as great as people had hoped. You know, standard of care therapy in this disease isn't very good. We're talking about treatment like pembrolizumab or ipinevo or even Kimtrak that's approved. You know, in this disease, metastatic uveal melanoma, 
sort of your, your standard response rates, the percentage of patients who have tumors that shrink beyond a certain level is only about five to 10%. And progression-free survival, median progression-free survival, which is sort of a measure of how long it is before the disease grows back, is only about two to three months. So that's what standard of care agents. And when Dorobacertib was tested as a single agent, it had similar activity. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't a step up from where standard of care sat. So at the time, Novartis was thinking, you know, uveal melanoma, we're not seeing as much activity as we hoped. And that's where sort of IDEA came in. So IDEA came in and we looked at the data and we thought, you know, this is very interesting. We may be onto something there. And Novartis was kind enough to um, out-license Dorovacertib to uh, IDEA. So we took, we took Dorovacertib over. And I have to give some really amazing credit to our discovery research people. What they did was, is they asked a really important question, quintessential question, which was, why didn't it work better? It should have. What went wrong? And what they did was, is they analyzed patient samples from all of the work that had been done with Dorovacertib as a single agent. And what they found was, they had a group of people that did really well, and they had a group of people that didn't do so well. And they asked, what, what's the difference between the two? And what they found was, is that in those who were doing really well, this pathway, a pathway that's known to be um, activated in cancer, in cancer cells called the MET pathway, seemingly was not so active in those who did well, but those who did poorly, the MET pathway was highly active. And so what they did was they took this information back to the lab and they studied it. And they said, you know, that what they found out was is in uveal melanoma, when the MET pathway was active, Dorovacerta didn't work so well, which meant that there were two pathways that were important now, not just one in the metastatic setting. So they came up with the idea of, well, what if we inhibit the MET pathway? And that's where crizotinib comes in. So crizotinib is a MET inhibitor. It's a molecule that's approved, FDA approved for other indications. It's a, um, a compound that's produced by Pfizer. And in a partnership with Pfizer, they provided us crizotinib. We showed them our preclinical work that argued that the two agents together, Dorovacertib and crizotinib together, would be better than either agent alone. And we took that to the clinic and we tested it in phase two. And I'm very proud to say that we just came back from ESMO, just a, so that's the European Society of Medical Oncology meeting just a few weeks ago and presented for the first time publicly the data that shows that that combination, Dorovacertib, Crizotinib, is producing responses, progression-free survival, and what appears to be durable activity that really outstretches anything that we've seen in the past. And so what am I talking about here? So as I mentioned, standard of care therapy, five to 10% response rate, progression-free survival, two to three months. At the ESMO presentation, we presented data showing that in first-line patients, patients who hadn't received therapy previously, we had a 45% response rate, and the progression-free survival was at least double what you've seen with standard of care agents. In fact, on our study, we had about half of the patients on treatment for at least six months and 30% of patients on treatment for over a year. So in a disease where standard of care delivers only two to three months of, of lack of progression of the tumor, we're talking about a significant advance. And so that's sort of the history of where Dorovacertib came from, you know, how IDEA got involved 
and the exciting emerging data that we just presented at ESMO. I can't wait to read some of that data and um, I'm going to have to reach out and get that for the show notes for this episode so that our people, our people who listen can just take a look at that themselves. Cause I mean, it's one thing to hear you talk about it, but I think it's another just to like see the numbers and see how, how that all goes. Um, so thank you guys, like for all of the work that you're doing. Um, I think that this is really pretty incredible. Um, our next question that we wanted to cover was just to talk about how does HLA typing come into play in the development of the drugs that you guys have, um, like this combination that you guys, um, I'm going to mispronounce it, so I'm going to not say those words. I know I can say kuzotinib, but that's about it. Um, but this combination that you guys are testing, how does this all uh, HLA typing come into play with this? Well, I, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because what I wanted to do is dovetail this information that I've shared with you with the concept that we believe either durovasertib and crizotinib, the combination, or single-agent durovasertib can, can cover the majority, if not all, of patients with uveal melanoma. So the question is, how are we doing that? Well, I just you know discussed with you what we presented at ESMO, and then based on that data, uh, what we're doing is a registration trial in HLA A2 negative patients with uveal melanoma why? Because we think it's going to be our fastest path to get the drug approved. And we think we can beat standard of care very easily. So for HLA A2 negative patients with metastatic uveal melanoma, if this study reads out positive and based on the data that we've presented so far, it would seem like that would be the case. There would be a really great go-to regimen for patients with HLA A2 negative disease. However, we haven't forgotten about HLA-A2 positive patients. In fact, in that presentation at ESMO, one of the things that we revealed is that not only do HLA-A2 negative patients benefit, but so do HLA-A2 positive patients. And we haven't forgot about those folks, so we're actually going to be opening up a phase two arm in our current study to focus specifically on HLA-A2 positive patients with metastatic uveal melanoma. The idea here will be to enroll enough patients where we can confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that the data in HLA-A2 positives and negatives are very, very similar. And then with that, hopefully, and with the um, success of our registration trial, we'll get NCCN guidelines for both patient populations and therefore insurance coverage for both and therefore access for patients with both HLA, A2 positive, and negative disease to get this therapy. Now, what about in the primary setting? You sort of brought this up. You know, we haven't forgotten about patients with primary uveal melanoma. We've talked about the metastatic setting, but what's really exciting and going on now is, is data that we're producing with derovasertib as a single agent. The idea here is that we don't need the crizotinib we're thinking at the beginning of the disease because protein kinase C really is the key driver early on. And as you, as you develop metastases, that's when this MET pathway gets involved and you need the crizotinib. So what we're thinking is derovasertib is a single agent, should be fine early in the disease. And you know what? It doesn't matter what your HLA status is. So what data do I have to support this? Well, I get some exciting information to share with you and your listeners. So we have been working with Anthony Joshua in Australia, who is running an investigator-sponsored trial. 
And in his trial, what he was studying is it's really interesting how this data has evolved. So how it started was he wanted to do a study in patients with uveal melanoma who had large tumors in their eyes, unfortunately large enough where the eye needed to be removed. That was going to be the therapy. And it's funny, the ocular oncologists were a little bit nervous. They were like, well, wait a minute now. You want to give Durovacertib? We want to take these patients to surgery as quickly as we can. We're kind of nervous about waiting. And, you know, Anthony explained to them that, you know, we have a therapy here that seems to be doing something that prior therapies have never done. They're causing tumors to shrink. And you know what? If we can shrink the tumor in the eye, maybe we can save some eyes. So here's how we're going to start. Just so you don't get nervous, we're going to give one month of therapy to make sure those patients can get surgery, and then we'll see how things go. So they did three patients. All three patients had their tumor shrink. They went off to surgery, and all of a sudden, the ocular oncologist started saying, hey, you know what? Why are we stopping at one month? You know, what? You know, we're already seeing tumor shrinkage. So at first, they were nervous for treating for one month. Now they want to treat longer. So we started, we changed the protocol. Now patients are getting six months. And wouldn't you know it, after we've treated maybe about 10 to 12 patients, half of the patients who would have had their eyes removed have now had their eyes saved. So it looks like... Such an incredible statistic, like so incredible to hear. Yeah, so this is like really amazing if you think about it. So what we've done based on the work that Dr. Joshua has done is we're opening up a phase two trial where we're going to test two different populations of primary uveal melanoma patients. So there's the one that unfortunately has a tumor so large that the eye has to be removed. So what are we doing there? Give Durovacertib for up to six months, shrink the tumor, save the eye, and convert those patients over to something like plaque brachytherapy. On the other hand, what about the majority of patients whose tumors aren't so big, but they have to get plaque brachytherapy? And unfortunately, with plaque brachytherapy, you get to save your eye, but the radiation can cause you to go blind. And so what we want to do there is shrink the tumor, less radiation, save the vision. So again, six months of Durovacertib before you get your definitive therapy. And so in addition to all of that, which is exciting, right? Whoa, save the eye, save the vision, you know, make the outcome better. We also want to prevent metastases. We do know that a significant proportion of patients who have uveal melanoma will develop metastases down the road. So we want to prevent that. So after patients have their definitive eye-directed therapy, They'll go on to get adjuvant therapy, which is more therapy for with durovacertib up to six months in order to prevent the metastases from occurring in the first place. So here we have a drug that's actually shrinking tumors, that's actually saving eyes. And we have physicians talking to us about things that they never talked to people about before. Like what? Well, let's save an eye. Now people are asking, do we even need plaque brachytherapy? Do we really want to sell that plaque to someone's eye? Maybe if we shrink the tumor down large enough, we can do other things. Like maybe even local. We have an investigator in Europe and saying, you shrink the tumor enough, I can do localized surgery. We may not even have to do that anymore, plaque brachytherapy. Or maybe I can use proton beams, a shot of radiation that's more localized. So people are thinking out of the box now, mainly because what we have is a therapy for the first time, it seems to be shrinking tumors on a routine basis, which is really not something you've seen before with standard of care treatments.
I love what you talked about because it's, it's like this, I feel like we just covered the next question, which is what is the, you know, the view, the, what is the vision for the future of uveal melanoma? And, and it, it seems like you just, you know, you just covered it. Like it's this idea that we have something at every stage of the disease from the beginning of the diagnosis to the threat of metastases to if there is metastases, we still have something. And I love that concept of this idea, this vision that, that there is, and it's not even just a vision, right? Because a vision implies it hasn't happened yet, but it's, it's this actively growing out of the box idea of what if we could just treat it all? Um, and what if we could treat it all largely the same way? Yeah. And yeah, so in summary, I would I'd say you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the idea here is we want to carpet bomb uveal melanoma. We have found, you know, effective agents, either with the combination or single agent durovasertib. We want to leave no stone unturned. Uh, we recognize this has been a difficult disease to treat in the past, but we think we're sort of on the cutting edge of changing paradigms, changing the way people think about the disease, how they manage it, how they approach it. We have investigators thinking about ways to evaluate and execute on the treatment of this disease that they never really talked about before because they didn't have the opportunity. So that's why I'm so excited about IDEA. You know, IDEA has this one angle in uveal melanoma, but we have other agents that are equally exciting. And it just it, it really keeps the fire fueling in your, your um, the fire burning in your belly every single day when you come into work because you know you're really making a difference for patients. I feel like that's, that's, it's just got to be such a powerful, powerful, empowering kind of a, a state to be in as a, as a chief medical officer. And just to see, to see this research unfolding, to be a part of it. Um, and to know, like you said, like to know the impact that it's having, that it is really having real life impact on real life people. Um, so can you just summarize, are there some other areas of critical research that IDEA Biosciences is focused on in addition to metastatic uveal melanoma? I know we kind of touched a little bit on, on the primary and the adjuvant settings for uveal, but are there any other areas of critical research that, that IDEA covers that you would like to share? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can discuss very at a high level very briefly the pipeline. As I mentioned, there are other areas of excitement. So one area is really an emerging area of enthusiasm is in this uh, space that involves a target in cancer called PRMT5. You know, that, that target's been around for some time and people have been very interested and thought it was important in cancer. And it's been tested with first generation molecules, you know, molecules that inhibit PRMT5. And you know, this is another example of where things didn't work out as well as we had hoped at the beginning. The drugs that were initially tested that targeted PRMT5 were a little bit toxic. They weren't seeing the kind of therapeutic window that people had hoped. The anti-tumor activity wasn't as great as people hoped. And, you know, some people were thinking, you know, maybe there's really nothing there. And then all of a sudden we got a lot smarter. We started thinking about, you know, maybe if we select our patients better, maybe if we think about the right combination partner, maybe if we modify our molecules to work a little bit better. And so a number of companies, including ourselves, have come up with newer ways to target this, 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 this protein called PRMT5. So, and I'm gonna just give you a quick history. And this has just happened over the last three months where all of a sudden it went from glass half empty kind of view to a glass half full type of view where, so companies like Marathi just presented data on their new MTA cooperative PRMT5 inhibitor. So it's a next generation PRMT5 inhibitor where they saw some early signs of anti-tumor activity where people started to raise their eyebrows and goes, you know, maybe there's something here. 
And they were selecting patients also uh, based on a genetic background that's key in cancer, which I'll mention in a moment. Amgen started presenting the same kind of data. They presented data on their PRMT5 inhibitor. Again, a number of responses making people recognize, you know, this pathway may be viable. And then IDEA has come forward recently with our MAT2A inhibitor, which works to inhibit PRMT5 indirectly, showing anti-tumor activity in the clinical setting. And now what we're all realizing that if you select the patients correctly, so there is a mutation called MTAP. There's a gene called MTAP when mutated and or deleted, um, it increases, you know, uh, it's very common in cancer, happens in about 15% of cancer patients and can lead to one of these synthetic lethality vulnerabilities that I've talked to you about before. So it turns out if you get after patients with these type of tumors and you're able to, able to inhibit something like MAT2A, which is where our molecule works, you can have the kind of profound anti-tumor activity we hope. And it turns out that folks that are testing PRMT5 inhibitors have gone to this space also, MTAP deficiency. It's a huge opportunity. It's 15% of all cancer. It's a large number of patients that could be affected. So people are testing this area with PRMT5 inhibitors. We're testing it with a MAT2A inhibitor. And even more exciting, we have a collaboration with Amgen to combine their PRMT5 inhibitor with our MAT2A inhibitor to shut off that pathway completely. And we hope by doing so, we're going to have a profound impact on a large number of patients with cancers that harbor this type of mutation. And with that, we think we can make, a, again, a big splash in this area on a large number of patients. So that's one area. And then I'll finish with our third program. This is one where maybe some of your folks are familiar with. So there's a class of agents out there that are approved called PARP inhibitors. So PARP inhibitors, again, have been found to have a synthetic lethality relationship whereby if patients have tumors that are have certain mutations like BRCA1 or 2, they, when treated with a PARP inhibitor, their tumors shrink, dramatically affected. People were excited. Multiple approvals occurred in this space. But what happened over time is what we realized is that, you know, these drugs have some toxicity attached to them. They're not so great in com combining with other agents. Over time, it looked like their survival advantage in some tumors kind of disappeared. And so the luster that went along with this group of agents, which was re really high initially, has kind of faded a bit. But IDEA has actually a, a molecule now called um, IDE161, which actually is a PARG inhibitor, not a PARP inhibitor, but a PARG inhibitor works in a similar space. We're going after a similar patient population. But what we think we can do here is solve some of the problems with that first set of agents that came out, these PARP inhibitors. We can be, we think and hope, less toxic. We can think we think we can be as effective. We think we can, can combine better with other agents and get into earlier lines of therapy where you're going to have the biggest impact in patients. And I'm very excited to tell you, we've just started a first in human trial. And when the, within the first few cohorts, we've already had several responses from patients. We presented our data to the FDA recently, our preclinical package and our clinical package, and they gave us fast track designation because they were excited about the molecules potential as well. And so we're plowing forward in the clinic and continuing to enroll patients, but another area of great enthusiasm 
all sort of backed by this concept of synthetic lethality. And we do have additionally, uh, and again, I'll spend less than 30 seconds on this, um, collaborations with GSK, you know, obviously a very uh, good company where we're, we're doing studies with a pull theta inhibitor and a Werner helicase inhibitor. Those are coming to clinic. Uh, the pull theta is just about ready to dose its first patient. Werner's uh, program is coming. So suffice it to say, all first in class, all novel, never been approved. Tumors have never seen these before. Well, now we're coming after them with new approaches, exciting opportunities, and hard to imagine that all of these are going to fail. The preclinical data is outstanding in many of these areas, and we think, again, some of these are just going to have a dramatic impact in patients as a whole. I feel like there's so much that we could cover here. And I honestly would love to have you come back and just talk more in depth about, you know, just more of what's going on, especially in the sphere of uveal melanoma. So we're, we're definitely going to have to do that. Um, but if patients want to learn more, you know, just in their own time right now, before we have that next episode come out, um, if they want to learn more about IDEA Biosciences and just current trials that are available, be it the primary tumor treatments, the adjuvant setting, and the metastatic setting, um, and just the various different arms and pieces of these trials that are happening and circulating, how can they best get that information? Yeah, you, you know, a great resource is, you know, going to our website, the IDEA Biosciences website. You can easily find us there. You can Google us. Um, there you'll be able to get access to you know, a lot of our publications, you'll be able to get access to our corporate deck, which really goes through these programs in some detail. So you can, you know, maybe get some more background on what we've discussed. Um, and it has information about our clinical trials as well. And for those folks out there that may be listening who are investigators that may have interest in doing some work with us, there's even, uh, you know, a place there where you can apply for uh, collaborative research opportunities with the company. So that's a really great place to begin, I think. Um, and obviously your folks can get in contact with us anytime. We're really excited to work with your group because it's really important that people know about us because one thing I want to share with your audience is, you know, we need patients' help too. From the perspective of we have this exciting opportunity, we're going to have these trials open around the world, but we, we do need folks, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in need of help and you want to get therapy, please participate in these clinical trials because it will allow us to get to the answers faster. It'll allow us to get the approvals necessary. So everybody with uveal melanoma will have access no matter where you are in the world. And so participation in clinical trials is so critical because that's really what advances the field. And it takes motivated patients. And I know when you have cancer, it's hard. I mean, I used to tell patients when I was at Moffitt, you know, it's like a full-time job. You have to really focus on the fight, you know, that's the idea. But one of the things you can do to focus on the fight is to be involved in clinical trials because not only we, it will make a difference for you, uh, but it'll make a difference for so many people that come after all of us. And the kind of work that we do now can go on for generations and we just have to have it available for as many people as possible, not only now, but in the future. I think that is so well said. And I don't know that we've had anyone ever share like that perspective on clinical trials before. So I'm glad that you were able to just put it that way and just kind of explain it that way. Cause I hope that that is, um, 
just a good, a good motivation for patients and just a, a really solid reason to be involved in clinical trials, be involved in the research whenever and wherever possible, um, be part of the process. And, and I, I just want to, uh, as we end, I just want to point out something you talked a lot about precision medicine and the novel therapies. You talked about this idea of thinking outside the box and the whole time that you're talking, I just am thinking you guys as a company, as a chief medical officer and a researcher yourself, you guys are approaching this, this specific cancer that so many people have deemed not figure outable, right? That it's not worth the time to figure it out. It's not worth the energy and the research that it would take to get there. You guys have taken that and you've said, no, it absolutely is worth the time and it is figure outable. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that book, but there's a, there's a book out there called Everything is Figure Outable. And it just seems like that is the mentality that you guys have approached this with, that you have approached the sphere of uveal melanoma with the belief that it is figure outable. Yeah, I would just add to that in that, you know, we're very, very science driven. So we're very, very deep in the science and trying to understand what's going on. And when things don't work out well, trying to understand why and trying to course correct where needed. And, you know, it takes perseverance. Cancer is hard. You know, you can't expect, you know, it's your first swing at the bat to hit a home run. Right. So sometimes when you strike out, you have to just take a step back and, you know, think hard about your strategy, think hard about your approach. And, you know, one thing we do do is we pivot where necessary. And I think, you know, a lot of that speaks to the success that we've had, you know, with bringing molecules forward. By the way, the reason why a lot of these areas that we're studying are novel is because they've been extremely hard to drug. So there are some targets where, you know, chemists can go in and, you know, in no time come up with a drug to treat, to treat a particular or hit a particular protein. These targets, many of these targets that we're talking about aren't so easy, which is why people have given up, people have kind of moved on or have just not been able to crack the nut. And we've just had a number of really highly talented um, people that just aren't willing to give up. And even though it's taken us a considerable amount of time, we always end up doing exactly what you've said, coming up with the answer you just have to work really hard at it. No, I love that. Well, Dr. Dr. Beaupre, thank you so much for your time. Um, as we're ending, is there anything else you want to share as we conclude? No, I would just say thank you so much for inviting us, uh, inviting me to the to talk and ideas, you know, really excited about being able to help patients with uveal melanoma. I hope maybe it you know, some of the meetings we can get together with some of the folks that you, you interact with. And again, assure them we're doing everything we can. We're leaving no stone unturned to try to make a difference in this disease. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. I know I, as a patient, appreciate it. And um, we look forward to just continuing to learn from you guys and learn from what you have going on. And so uh, for anyone interested, be sure to check out the show notes. You can check out the description on the YouTube video uh, and just, just know that there are resources and you can reach out to these guys for information and get clarification. Uh, and we look forward to having you back next time. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.